Hey, what's good, people? This is the Option Podcast. This is episode 168. I don't know. That guy over there, he looks like Carl Beckstrand. We're going to find out. The episode starts right now. What's good, Carl? Hey, Jason. <laughs> What's up? Once again, this is the Option Podcast. I am your host with the most. I am Jason DeBias. I got to give the people what they want. I got to give the people what they want. Sometimes you ask for somebody, and sometimes I got to tell you who you deserve. And this man, Carl Bextron, he is going to talk about a whole bunch of things, and we don't even, we're not even sure where we want to go with that, right? <laughs> talk about a lot of different things yeah no doubt actually let's talk about what we were talking about before before we got on the air um you're you are a multiple best-selling book author and i'd like to what was the first one what was the first one you sold uh, um, the very that, first book that came out was a children's book called sounds in the house a mystery okay a mystery yeah and that's in english and spanish right right yeah at what no actually let's let's do the censorship thing later i want to talk about the books i want to talk about i have a, a shape a kind of a, a weird question and i need you to allow me to shape it all right when i studied um shakespeare i, st I was in theater you know in marymount manhattan they said shakespeare had to do titus andronicus in order to do hamlet titus oh, andronicus wow. was like his blockbuster the one that was going to sell tickets the one that was going to generate some revenue that put him in a position to do some of the good work that um that he wanted to do, like like George Clooney, right? Had to do ER and yeah. and that movie with Jennifer Lopez, so he could do Oh Brother Where Art Thou and like Syriana and Good Night and Good Luck. Or, sorry, yeah. good. What what was what was it with um Good Luck and Good Night? What was it about the John Dewey thing? I forgot the movie. Oh, it was Good, good Luck and Good Night. Wasn't that about the news reporter? Yes. Um, that was accused of being a communist or whatever. Yeah. It'd be like, oh, I got friends that are communists. We can't be friends, you know. So, so. Um, I guess my question is, and I'm going to give you the floor, was there a particular book that you wrote that um, put you in a position to do some of the work that you really want to do? Or was it raw coincidence that what you wanted to do was the book you wrote? Wow. Yeah, you know, so I, when I was getting my undergrad degree, um, and when I should have been doing homework, I was getting bombarded with story ideas. Mm-hmm. And they were uh, mostly kids books. And it was just weird because I didn't think I was a writer. I wasn't much of a reader. <laughs> and uh, I just kept getting these ideas that wouldn't let me go till I wrote them down. And the first one that got published happened to be a kid's book. And uh, the publisher, I actually asked the publisher if we could do it English and Spanish. And he said, no, I don't think that'll sell. But he, he actually passed away the day we went to print. So I had to take over all the marketing and promotion and so since it was in back in my hands again, I made it bilingual and published it in Spanish. And my Spanish books have been my bestsellers. Isn't that something? Yeah. <laughs> you spent a lot of time in Chile, right? Yeah. I yeah. lived there for a couple of years. You ever been to uh, Peru? Uh, just the Lima airport. Yeah. I was in Peru for like uh, 10 days. I was on an academic trip with uh, Duke University. 
um, with my, my, my wife's parents went to Duke Law School, so they get invited to all these trips. And it was, it was as far as like a once in a lifetime thing is concerned, uh, um, yeah, you got to do it. Very much like Chile, like there's zero regrets, right? Zero regrets of you spending the time oh, you spent in Chile. Chile was marvelous. Yeah. And Lima, that's where you land, but, um, and of course, Cuco, Puno. Lake Titicaca is like this, this city where like everyone lives on an island built of straw and they take a, and, and every day they take a whole bunch of straw to keep the island afloat. It's just weird. It's like these huts on islands and people on yeah. boats are like, you know, selling merchandise, selling food or whatever. It, it's just, it's a little city of its own. And of course, Machu Picchu, uh, um, you know, the main attraction. And uh, uh, which was, you know, um, if you're an edu if you're more an, an academic, you appreciate it more than a kid from Brooklyn. Me, I was more aesthetically pleased by, you know, wh what I saw and and the spiritual an and the spiritual, yeah, and the spiritual aspect. I, I guess I got two educations. <laughs> yeah. So um, there was a book in particular that I thought you and I wanted to talk about, and I really love the material you sent me. Um, and it's called, it's right, it was right here. I'm sorry, Abundant Paths. Um, can you give me the complete title? Abundant Paths. Beyond um, Either or Thinking to Fulfilling yeah. Same-Sex Relationships? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. Right. Is the crux of the book, um, how much does it have to do with nature versus nurture? Because uh, um, I, I, exactly, I've, I, from what I read, I'm like, this is this is unique and it's original. And it's and it's on its own. You didn't decide to go the path that leads to people saying you need to talk to scientists about this. Um, talk to me a little bit about the book. So yeah, actually, this book is the book that my other books enabled me to write, and I didn't know it all the years. I mean, I've been published for 18 years now, mm -hmm. and all the years I was cranking out books, I didn't ever realize that it was to get to this one book that just came out last year. Mm -hmm. And um, actually a friend persuaded me to write it. I had no intention of writing it <clears throat> because um, I was pretty content with my life and, and how things were going. Who wants to do, right? Who wants to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I had learned so many things about relationships in the last five years, just revolutionary to me. And my friend agreed and he says, you got to share this stuff. You can't just keep it to yourself. So it's mostly things that I've learned in my relationship failures. And then ultimately, lately in life, my relationship successes. All right. Is it about um, the phase of understanding sexuality, right? Where we, can talk, where we could be talking about same sex. We could be, it could definitely be applicable to heterosexual um, relationships and this and that. Yeah. Is it about the phase and the process of um, getting what you want and then wanting what you get? And maybe if I need to be more specific about that, um, uh, let's just, you know, I don't want to talk about me, but it's the best way I know how to shape the question. My sister um, is, a, is a lesbian. She's, um, you know, the first female in our family to serve, two tours in Afghanistan. And she, when she came wow. out, all she could think about is women. And it turns out we like the same kind of women, so we had conversations <laughs> about that. But it was one of those things, things that seemed residual. And, and I just had to ask the question. I'm like, you do know you're more than, you're more than just this. You do know you're also right. gay. Right. This isn't your this is a new discovery that you think is shaping your identity as a collective whole. Right. Uh, um, and this is a phase. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying. I was just trying to talk her out of um, winding up with a girl who, who she likes physically. Right. Physical attraction, because that was one of the things in your book. Yeah. Uh, um, and then finding out 
that that person's a train wreck. Yeah. Now, now bef- I'm going to give you the floor, but I want to finish by saying this. We as human beings are already attracted to train wrecks as it is. Yeah. We are, I mean, right? You, you, you watch Jersey Shore for six seasons, right? And it started with the disc jockeys like Howard Stern. 80% of the people were disgusted with what he said, but 90% yeah. of those 80% said they're going to watch it again. So yeah. um, talk to me in the book if, if, if it pertains to process of physical attraction and getting what you want and wanting what you get, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, yeah, and in the book, I even say, I don't even know whether people are born gay or not. I, I don't really deal, worry about that. No. And, um, and you address something important that I come from a, a Christian background, and a lot of Christians, when I say I'm bisexual, will say, oh, you are just like a heretic. You should say I'm a child of God because bisexual, you can't use that for gay or whatever. And honestly, you know, if someone is liberal or conservative or American or Peruvian, you have to use other words. It doesn't mean that's your main identity, but yeah, you, there are descriptors that you use so that you can communicate easily. <laughs> of course, I'm a Christian. Of course, I'm a child of God. But uh, yeah, being attracted, wanting what you have. And, and is that what you said? Yes, wanting getting what, what you want and wanting what you get. Getting what you want and wanting what you get. That's really the key to this book. Because I thought for many years, I thought God... Um, didn't want me to associate with men right oh and i went through a period where um well i was compulsive sexually um because i was exposed to sexual activity very young right and then i also went through a period of kind of being a recluse because i thought that's what god wanted and he's like no that's not what i want i want you to have healthy relationships with men and women right and um for years i also tried to make god fill all my needs and he said wrong again i gave you social needs so that you would meet them with human beings i'm not going to take those away no I, yeah. and that's a very very good point um in in your religion and in, in, in specificness but at the same time religion or, or orthodox christianity as a general rule right uh, mm-hmm. and it's the one thing that escapes people's th- thought process god himself um According to uh, whether you're a Mormon, which you are, uh, whether you, I grew up assemblies of God, you know, fire and brimstone, speaking in right. tongues, doing backflips up the aisles, you yeah. know, raised Catholic. And then, and then from that to that, you can imagine <laughs> like how like crazy the atmosphere was in me. I couldn't stop staring at people. Um, <laughs> but there was a general rule of God himself never took away free will. God right. himself wouldn't even allow the devil to take away free will, right? Everyone says the devil made you do it. No, really. These days, the devil's watching, you know, HBO dramas on show, on shows, you know, watching The Wire or Game of Thrones. And the devil's sitting back because free will. We're doing we're doing a lot of this stuff on our own. But I think the broader point I was trying to make was, um, I don't think it's the function of Christianity to take away people's free will, right? Right. Joe, our president, Joe Biden. He's um, he's pro i think he's pro-abortion right pro-choice but he's also a catholic catholic yeah so his catholicism is not i mean it that's a that to me that's a true christian because he's not taking away the rights to people who do not share your religion right um now we could get into what's a what is a life and all that stuff and this and that but as a general concept of saying no my religion says it's wrong so you can't do it uh, um right. is, a, is, a, is a is a great but it's a great win for politics 
when someone yeah. can say, you know, like, look, I, I mean, I grew up uh, um, anti-gay. I grew up until I was like 18 years old until I joined the army too. Um, yeah. Shortly during the military, I kind of had this epiphany. I'm like, all right, what, what, am, what are we even doing here? <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so um, your book covers, is it all about sex? I, I like that, I, I, uh, and we're gonna talk about that. Um, what's good about um, attraction to your own sex, mm-hmm. right? What's good, um, is fluidity real? As mm-hmm. a guy who studied the seven sh- uh, major chakras of the spinal cord, like fluidity, that, that second chakra. I'm not sure wow. if that's where the book was going with this or that, but I'd like you to educate the audience on some of those, some of those topics. Let's start with, um, is it all about sex? So yeah, I... Um... <laughs> I have enjoyed lots of orgasms with yeah. people of my own sex. And, um, but when we confuse sexual euphoria with love, we guarantee that we're going to fall out of love mm-hmm. because sexual euphoria by nature is temporary. And um, most straight guys get that, but a lot of gay men don't. Mm-hmm. And they go from heartbreak to heartbreak to heartbreak to the grave because they're looking for this thing that's going to fill them entirely looking for this partner. That's going to be their world, their everything that's going to know their thoughts. That's going to meet all their needs and no one person can meet all our needs. That's and very yeah, well sexual euphoria is great, but I actually found late in life that there is a deeper connection you can have with people, regardless of their sex, regardless of your sexual orientation, there are deeper connections than sexual euphoria. And they don't have to be without euphoria, but um, they're just so many more kinds of relating than the world tells us. No doubt. So, so actually, I mentioned something called train wrecks, and we'll just call it the train wreck fallacy. Is the, tra- okay. is the train wreck, fa- is the foundation of the train wreck fallacy um, generated from this feeling of euphoria, which we both concede is very, very temporary? Is that is that is that why we we are attracted to train wrecks because we are looking for that next rush? <laughs> Maybe right? looking for we, the right, we were talking okay. about same you were talking about same sex relationships, but straight guys. Uh, um, like, I remember I was on Wendy Jones' podcast from the Optimist Journal. Um, you, you'll I mean you got to listen to her. She is she's the conscience okay. of the United States of America. Um, and I and I used Bill Clinton as an example, right, okay. with the Monica Lewinsky thing. Yeah, and. We made a joke. I was like, Hillary wasn't always ugly, right? Okay. I mean, if you looked at her in the nineties, I mean, no, but if you looked at her in the nineties, she was cute. And then when you found out she was smart, she was hot because I call those points. You you see someone and they're all right. Then you see how they carry themselves. And I'm like, okay, she's hot, you know? Um, Well, now she looks like Leona Helmsley meets the Wicked Witch, but, but I'm like, why put Hillary aside for that? Because there's this, there was this euphoria that Bill um, has had most of his life that he's used to having a reputation for having, and and though those feeling the feeling in general is temporary, it's it's on to the next one to keep this temporary feeling residual. So I guess my question is is um, is the train wreck fallacy generated? Is that the fa- is that is this the euphoria the foundation of that train wreck fallacy? Maybe um, I think everybody's different. So, uh, yeah, I think you and I as men identify with the allure of the dangerous, but not everybody feels that way. Not all men feel that way. Um, no, you're right. So, <laughs> I think just society in general is over-focused on sex because we've 
we don't see the other kinds of relating anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a loss. It's a, it's sad because um, sex as a bandaid is sad. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's, and you might, you might be putting a bandaid on, um, you know, on something that's a machete slice, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I got one more question about the book and then beyond that, everyone, they're just going to have to buy it and read it themselves. Cause we're not, this isn't, this is, this is the option, not the spoiler alert podcast. All right. So, um, okay. my my question, and you can choose not to answer this because this might be worth reading the book over. Um, you had the you had to the question: Are competing desires health, um, um, healthful? Yeah. Um, I I don't. Me personally, and I need you to educate me on this one. This is why I punt the ball to you because sure. you're the one that's learned. You're the one that's done the research. You're the one that's did the writing. And as and as much as a kid from Brooklyn thinks he knows about a little bit about everything, I pose this question: I don't. I only see harm and no help in it. <laughs> That's the way I know okay. how to put that. Well, I spent, and I'm, well, I'm going to give decades. you the floor. Yeah, I spent decades hating my attraction to men and seeing nothing good about it. Right. But if God really knows everything, whether or not he makes people gay, if God really knows everything, and if he has a plan for each of us to come back and live with him forever, then whatever we experience can be used for our success there and for our happiness not only later, but now, our happiness now. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I discovered is that competing desires are everywhere. You want to spend time with your family, but you want to work so you can earn to support your family. You want to stay awake and watch a show, but you also want to sleep. You want that dessert, but you want to stay trim. Mm-hmm. And so competing desires in one way can help us know who we are, what we value. But I think in another way, um, they, they help us grow. And so I'm at a place now where my relationships are so fulfilling. I would not trade. I would not. If someone gave me a pill to be straight, I wouldn't take it right now. No. <laughs> because I like who I am and I like my relationships. They're better than they've ever been. Yeah, you seem happy too. There are some people when they come out that it's um like that and Vogue song, Free Your Mind. <laughs> and man, I, I was just great. I have a friend of mine um that actually was um he trans into a woman right and then some people they jump into that right Mm -hmm. and it's like what the hell did i do and then there's some people they were miserable until the day they did it and then you see them a year later and they're like happy as hell and i'm just like you know what stop people stop hating dude you got someone that did something that they thought would bring them happiness and as coincidence or science or whatever, um, what have it, it is making them happy. And why can't you just be happy that they're happy? <laughs> you know, yeah. why can't, you know what I'm saying? That's where I'm not a libertarian, but why doesn't everybody just leave everybody else alone? You know, like yeah. Hank, Hank Williams made a song called, this is a coalition to ban coalitions. <laughs> and, awesome. and the last line in the song, why doesn't everybody else meet everybody else alone? <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's important. That gets yeah. back to one of my chapters about is fluid and yeah. real. Mm-hmm. And a lot of gay men, at least, I don't know about lesbians, but a lot of gay men um, don't have any attraction for the opposite sex. And I do. Right. And I've experienced fluidity where I've gone, you know, up and down the spectrum. And it's not unheard of. It's it's actually common fluidity. And so rather than advocating someone's trans choice or someone's gay choice, why not just advocate the person and give them time and space to figure things out? Because... Those kind of things take decades sometimes to figure out for sure. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Dave Chappelle once said empathy is not 
transgender. Empathy is not bisexual. No, empathy is not gay. And empathy is bisexual. It okay. must work both ways. So I think as people start to just shut up and watch and see people figure out themselves, whether it's a gay guy is straight or whether someone wants to be a trans or whether someone's a lesbian or this or that, and there's less... Um, trying to do this early prevention let's shut that you know let's shut that stuff down before we go any further just mm. let that person make their choice and and, yeah. and take their course and when they get there and when they come back then the empathy has to work the other way this person yeah. this this it might be new to them because they grew up religious it might be uh, um not natural to them because they've been told their life it's not natural right yeah. so i think the more one side, and I hate to, t to, to just take the argument with this false dichotomy of you're just on one side or the other, but in this case, um, and, and you know, in, in the classic approach of this, of this discussion, I'd like to try. One side who's, not, who's intolerant to that has to just let it take its course. And when it takes its course, the other side has to, has to yeah. you know, to take that first side. That. And when that first side says, you got to give me a minute. Give them a minute. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Give them a minute. Yeah. So, and I'm circling back to what Chappelle said, who's been controversial on sexual issues for the people that don't actually um, watch him. Um, <laughs> empathy is not gay or lesbian or transgender. It's bisexual. Yeah. It must work both yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, that's enough about your book. You and I'm I'm actually on the edit. I'm going to make sure I have all the information they need to know about where to purchase the book and this and that. And of course, the complete title that was so long, I have to look down and read it like a moron. <laughs> no, um, I have to read it too. Um, when you started writing, because I remember early in your career, you you said that you hated reading. You know, which is. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Last good book you read. I'm like. No. Actually, the last good book I read was um, Fool's Errands about the 19-year war in Afghanistan and what we were doing there. It's oh, yeah. excellent. And I have the author right there, and I'll, I'll give it to you later. It's, it's, it's definitely a good read. So as far as the why on your chosen path to writing these, these bestsellers and just being this uh, amazing professor and, and just good communicator and human being, and, and I'm looking at your face right now, and it's just like, I feel like the world's a better place, man. This, 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 oh. this, this is gonna be a long podcast. <laughs> spend the whole day looking <laughs> at you. I might be a little gay for you. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kelly, I love you, I'm just kidding. All right, so um, was there a why on your chosen path to writing, or is it just something where you're like, I'm liking this um, and I'm good at it. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, the answer That's is- That's a loaded question, please. Uh, but I'm gonna give you the floor. You're right in both cases. So yeah, I, as I was writing and publishing um, and getting recognized, I thought, yeah, this is good. I enjoy this. Only when this last book came out did I realize that, wow, this is what I was born to do. This book is why I'm here on the planet. Because I learned so many revolutionary things. And so I guess you can't know until you finally attain what it is. And maybe there's not just one mission for a person in life, but yeah. it was kind of interesting to get to a place where, wow, I really feel like everything led up to that. And that's an important answer for a, a lot of people's careers, right? Like um, when I was in studying acting, you really cannot go on stage with the intention to be good. Because if you do, you won't, you're not going to be good. <laughs> um, there was a story that Lauren Bacall told about 
um, she did a hundred performances. No, it wasn't Lauren. It was somebody else. But I just want to use her as an example. She was an old school, old, old school actress, like a Sophia, yeah. like that type of woman that walks into the room and men know how to behave. Right? They don't exist anymore. Um, but she said she did a hundred performances. Right? Mm-hmm. And the the first five performances, there was a particular way she asked for the um, the sugar for her tea, and the audience was laughing, just like some of them even clapped. So she tried to play to that. And the next ninety performances nothing work. nothing and the last five performances she got the laugh back and when she was asked what she did she said i asked for the sugar and not the laugh so that's why i was asking you on the on the why were you i mean because a lot of people they they see this and sometimes they write with the intention for it to be a good piece. And then this and then the, the then there's the other people, the the ones who succeed at it, their their nose is so ingratiated into the work, the uh, whether it's really, really good is a net result. Mm-hmm. You know? And then as you ascend and as you get an agent and as you know, you get with the right publishing couple uh, companies, because I know you were talking about um, clicks when it comes to that and in, in a previous podcast. There's a good mm-hmm. old boys club there. You know, volleyball yeah. I mean, volleyball in California there certainly is here, right? Um, yeah. So that's why I asked the why, you know what I'm saying, and and your path. And somewhere in the beginning of this was, I guess I'm going to rephrase the question, was it just your nose in the work and then and then you didn't know, you didn't know you'd blow up like this? Yeah, I, um, yeah, I was just doing what was fun and, and actually I felt led because, as I said, the stories would ambush me. I felt like I wasn't writing them. They were just coming to me and I was scribbling them down. Yeah. So, you said you write everything so- down too, man. You're so smart. <laughs> do, do you know how old some people have to be to realize like, I, I, I could just write this down. Yeah, you know? think- <laughs> man, we should start teaching teenagers that now. So this way they can have a better quality of life. Just start writing stuff down. Yeah. Um, making a mess, making a message from your mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. I, I like that phrase, and then you, you mentioned that too. I did a little bit of homework on you, and I just started yeah. taking some of these things that just, well, anything that made me smile, I wrote down. I don't even, I mean, this might not even be an important episode on the Option Podcast. We might just be two guys here talking shit. So, um, making a message from your mess. Talk to me a little bit about that. Talk to my, no, I think I get it, but we owe an audience. Sure. For, we owe it to the audience for me not to talk this whole podcast. Sure. And I, many people already know, I, I didn't come up with that phrase, but it really yeah. applies to me because relationship-wise, my life was a mess for, for decades. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, uh, like you said, a train wreck. Yeah. And I wasn't finding what I was looking for. I was looking for a deep connection that lasted. and And I was... At one point, I concluded I will never find that in this life. Maybe in the next life. Yeah. Were you okay with that? I was resigned, but I don't think I was happy about it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I just feel like all of this was teaching me. I just didn't know it. You know, all the stuff that that we go through, all the difficulty and opposition and struggles, um, they're not pointless. We're learning. We're always learning. You can be lying in bed and learning. Not even reading, just existing, you're learning. You can't help but grow and develop. Yeah. Can you appreciate that a lot of people, in, uh, I guess in the world in general, need to understand that? To yeah. understand that sometimes for you to get to be here, you have to be there. <laughs> you know, it has to It has to be there. You know, um, in theater school, there were um, 
I guess I can narrow it down to two techniques. And I don't know why my phone's humming. Hush. Um, there were uh, two different techniques I want to give you. One is like Stanislavski and it's like Sanford Meisner, where if you get up and move across the room, you need a reason to. Okay. Right. And then there's Michael Chekhov, not to be confused with Anton. Michael Chekhov, where it's like you get up, you move across the room, come back, move across the room, come back. And figuring out the why organically um, allowed you to uh, to perform more organically, where, where that style of acting allowed that the actor to um, put on a better scene because it felt like they didn't have to um, struggle for it, you know? And, and it was very important for stage because you got to do 100 shows and the people that pay for your ticket um, want to see the same thing you did yesterday and the day before that and the day before that as opposed to film. So, um, so I appreciated the, the term making, um, <laughs> I just got making a message from your mess. It's a, it's a learning experience. And it, the reason why I even brought it up because there's so many people that that will see your story and be like it's so this this is so relatable this applies to me what did he do about it oh oh cool you know that's that's why i like that's why i like your writing and that's why i like what you're doing right now you know you. yeah or would you call it plotters versus um pansters pansters <laughs> you really did do your own work yeah, i'm in the middle um i i like to be structured and have organization but i also write by the seat of my pants yeah that's good so you you got a nice healthy balance of that i think so yeah works for me I think, um, yeah, definitely works for me. Uh, it works definitely works for me. Into, but I guess from the business, right? The more, the more people you have involved in what you're trying to do with your mission statement and your projects, right? The more it has to be plotter, right? Yeah, you can't. Yeah, be but real, I think real inspiration can't be limited that way. You just have to, you have to let it come however it wants to come. Yeah, is that why you're? Yeah. Is that why you're like the major shot caller in all your projects? <laughs> yeah. He's like, this guy knows me. <laughs> I'm filing a restraining order. This dude knows me. <laughs> Come on. I'm not a lazy guy. I, I'm, I live in California, but I function like a New Yorker, my man. So <laughs> chillax, man. We'll be all right. No, that's not me. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate the value in you knowing the consequence uh, of, 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 your actions or what pe you decide for yourself and what people decide for you. Right. Um, and when you actually think of the consequence or where the blowback happens, it's always you, right? So I, I do, do you agree that's that that generates from your choice? <laughs> yeah, and, and there's also blowback and consequence for the people around you. So ah, it's, it's you have to be a little bit wise, careful. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, when I was in the army, I, I had a great company commander that gave me the autonomy to to do my occupational specialty. And then the, the next commander came along, told me how to do it. And when it went wrong and they came to him, he's like, that's not my job. That's his job. And I'm just like, ooh, oh, yeah, I got to get, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> you yeah. know, let me just fulfill my time. I'm a Gulf War vet. So I was a generator mechanic supporting MI. And, um, and the one thing I learned from that is never be held responsible for a situation that you're not in charge of. Uh, um, and that's not impossible. I mean, that's not possible to navigate your entire life, but put yourself mm -hmm. in a position as much as you can, um, which is why I brought it up in the first place. I think, you know, there are, can you give me some examples uh, of, of certain decisions where people disagreed with you, but, but you saw where consequences were, or is, is this a off the wall question? Well, gosh, the biggest one that comes to mind is with this writing this book. Um, cause I wasn't careful and 
methodical about writing this book. I just had to get all this information out on, you know, down in words Mm -hmm. and then worry about cleaning it up and making it make sense. But also I worried about the consequences because I thought a lot of young people would be reading this, people who haven't formed an opinion yet. And then I didn't want to be telling them what to think, but at the same time, I wanted them to, to gain from what I've experienced. So that's a really fine line. That is a big responsibility. It is. It is. And, and it's so weird because when you take it, you don't know it. And then then when you're in it, you're like, oh, my God. OK, let me just <laughs> give me a minute before I actually make my final decision. on this. Right. And thank you, by the way, for serving. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm a vet. Yeah. My dad before me, his dad, uh, tracing all the way back to World War One, every single uh, American war, um, all the men. My sister, I just mentioned, she's the first woman in our family. And. And you know, she's like what I would call, and I, I mean, I don't know if there's a correct term for this. She's kind of a butch lesbian. Mm-hmm. So when she's calling me from Afghanistan, yo, this army thing's a trip, Jay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she got she got like her little dude voice on. So that, oh. um, for just, you know, not for bigoted uh, uh, um, reasons or purposes in my, my um, labeling, just just descriptive. So you can right. understand what she what she sounds like and what she looks like. Because I know some people are, 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 are hypersensitive, you know. Um, I don't have a problem with the word butch. <laughs> no, I mean, it, right? I mean, what else would you call it? Right. <laughs> I remember you were you were also talking a little bit about censorship, and that was something we were talking mm-hmm. about before the podcast started. When you, um, I guess when your book sales happened and when you started to become more opinionated on some things, um, I'm not going to ask for a particular timeline, though. That's a voluntary thing on your part. Where, at what point did you realize? Because censorships has always kind of been there, but it's been huge uptake the last two and a half years. Um, um, at what point did you realize that uh, people that had opinions that were differing from the mainstream were being censored uh, on your personal um, whatever? Oh, I think I saw it 20 years ago. Right. Uh, but it's, got, it's gotten crazy now. And it's strange because I grew up in San Jose, California, and it was right by Santa Cruz, which is hippie central. Yeah. San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury. I mean, those are the most liberal people in Berkeley. I mean, just I was just surrounded by um, people who stood for free speech. Right. And of course, there's censorship on both sides. But the fact that it still exists at all is... Yeah. is a tragedy because i mean you think we learn from our past you know mm-hmm. let people read and say what they want yeah um the more they read and the more they say that they regret later the more we learn all of us yeah i think it's better off uh i hate to quote you again better better the fall off from from bad censorship i mean from bad speech but to yeah. let it fall off than to censor it and have it implode Right. Yeah. I thought January 6th was was a big example of that. Like if you censor the the some of these people um, there, uh, they're not their opinions are not going away. It's just something that's boiling over that you won't see coming. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, and I, I thought that's me personally. That's when I've noticed it more. I just think it gave um, the government and it gave other people to say this is what happens when you let people express themselves and now we gotta we have to censor those bad things and this and that and i my, like my wife she has less of a problem with censorship 
but she has more of a problem with who determines what's what's the right thing to say and what's not. So, so in right. essence, she's more on my side than not because the the governing body that decides what's what's okay to say and what's not is not exactly the the um the poster boys for for integrity <laughs> and honesty and historical honesty, right? So, yeah. did I phrase that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, and I think if you drive people to muzzle themselves or underground, those bad ideas will fester. But if those bad ideas are out in the open and we're discussing them, I think it's easier for people to see where they're right and where they're wrong, where they where they could improve what they think or believe. If it's right. a free marketplace of ideas, that's the best place. I mean, sunlight is the best, most healthy thing rather right. than hidden and driven under and festering. Right. Um, educating people who are living under the rock of free, uh, of what free speech is. Free speech is designed to protect you from government persecution, right? And this is why I've always valued free speech because I, because of that definition, I've always considered free speech a double-edged sword, right? It yeah. doesn't protect you from other free speech, and that's where my opinion with the cure is in bad free speech. Bad, bad. The best way to cure bad free speech is good free speech. Is other free speech, you yeah. know? There, there's dialogue. There's there's debate. There might be even some emotion, but at the end of the day, uh, less people get hurt. <laughs> less people get hurt by letting people say what they want than censoring them. I think more people get hurt Absolutely. by censoring, which is weird because the message now is the less you censor, the more people get hurt by someone's words. You know, right. and I'm just like, do you think we as a nation are just that stupid? We got plenty of stupid people here. Don't get me wrong, uh, but do we? allow this this crowd of stupid people to say the rest of the country has to be not punished but like has to behave a certain way because we don't trust those people enough you know you know or or is it because the digital age or the information age has made us more sensitive to it yeah i could contribute to i think people are less trusting of each other and that's sad and i think part of it is because we don't enjoy 100 free speech if mm -hmm. we really did we wouldn't have concerns about what's going on in that person's mind because we'd know. Right. You went to, to BYU, right? Mm -hmm. uh, journalism uh, major? Yeah, I'm yeah. undergrad. Was that something that you're like, I'm in college and I got to study something, and then you ended up liking it? <laughs> exactly. I took it because it was a short program. <laughs> why, do you, why do you think I studied acting? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Salute, my man. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> but I loved it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was hooked. I never intended to be a reporter, but I got the, the writing chops. I had really good instructors. And yeah. So. God bless. BYU's a good skill too, man. I know, a good men's volleyball team as well. I'm a volleyball head, so uh, you'll always see them in the semis or finals pretty much the last 10 years, maybe like eight of, eight of the last 10 seasons, they were always in the on the, um, the scene. Yeah. Uh, they do really good international recruiting. You know, I have a friend whose cousin's from Puerto Rico, who's like their best player, Gabby. Um, and Puerto Ricans usually only known by their first names. They just... <laughs> you know, my friend yeah. Rafu, and I was like, "What's his last name?" Just never, nickname, yeah. never mind. It's like Cher, dude. Just, just yeah. Madonna. Just, just <laughs> say it, Cher. Do you believe in love? <laughs> Are you a Cher fan? <laughs> sure. I'm not asking that because because you're because you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's fun. oh yeah. I guess I like Barbara Streisand too. Yeah, right. I like a lot <laughs> of different artists. Come on, let's so. let's fill that stereotype, <laughs> my man. Let, let's 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 pile on. <laughs> Put oh, some funny. salt on that. No, I went to a share concert in Madison Square Garden and her introduction was ladies and gentlemen and exotic men. 
that was her. <laughs> That's how she started. Um, uh, yeah, I had the pleasure of seeing her in the garden. Um, that was fun. I remember watching her as a kid on the Sonny and Cher show. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm that old. I didn't think she had acting chops until I saw the the show with um, it was a one word title in it. Moonstruck. Not Moonstruck. It was about this kid Rocky Dennis who had like this this medical disease. Oh yeah, disease. the mask. Mask. That's yeah. what it was. Excellent movie, dude. Excellent. Excellent movie. And Moonstruck is what? That was her and Nick Cage. Yeah. That was her and Nicolas Cage. Cool. <laughs> How did we even get there, man? I don't know. <laughs> I'm driving us both off the cliff, man. I'm a, I got to give you the wheel at some point because there are certain things you you sent that you 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 really wanted to talk about openly, and I thought we hit we hit we hit right on the head. We hit the nail on the head as far as um, sexuality and just understanding each other and allowing mm -hmm. allowing people to be you know um, to be themselves. And, they figure themselves out yeah yeah and empathy man just wow so yeah censorship happened to me when i started going away from volleyball this is a predominantly volleyball podcast right? right and what happened was i was very disturbed when joe rogan got in some hot water about talking about covid right and yeah. for anyone that watches the podcast it's not he's not a news outlet he's they're just having a conversation he's not there to bring you the news he's a pod right. he's a pothead comedian right yeah. That 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 didn't even, very much like me and and maybe a little bit you didn't really know the the why they were just there was just this idea where they could just have fun and have a good time you never knew it'd be that big, yeah. so the same time Joe got in trouble Whoopi got in trouble with the whole um, Nazi thing when she was like how is that that racial when it's just white people killing white people so oh. so I made an episode no guest called um, free speech is not popular speech yeah. That's and, good. And I defended Joe for obvious uh -huh. reasons because everybody's like, well, false balance is like you're giving this guy equal equal footing, you know. And I'm like, how does false balance apply do you even apply when everyone's being censored? How do you know what he, how do you even know what false balance is? False balance requires a percentage, but your 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 foundation <laughs> other uh, other percentage is wrong because yeah. they're being censored. How the hell you know what the, what does it even mean when you're being censored, right? And yeah. then Whoopi the argument I made for her is somewhere out there, and you teach, so so yeah. you'll appreciate this. Somewhere out there is going to be a black kid that raises his hand and says, in Nazi Germany, how do the Nazis know who the Jewish people and, and the German people were? Now, yeah. we're, you're an academic. I'm a kid from Brooklyn. It's uh, New York is a very Jewish place, so you know, you kind of, you kind of, Say that guy's Jewish, that guy's Jewish. So we kind of, there's a, a lot, uh, you watch communities they function in, you're the church, and, and you put two and two together. But for a black kid who only recognizes pigmentation yeah. as race, that's a, a, a legit question. And because sure. she apologized, no one wants to answer that question. So I just got pissed. So, yeah. um, and summation, because you're my guest and, and, and we got, and I really appreciate you taking this time. You know, um, sure. And now you realize this isn't an interview. This is a conversation, right? Because there's so many sure. people that oh, leave the po it. podcast is like, I could have had a conversation. But I put, um, I ran an ad for it on Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. And it got 23,000 views. But there's a category called through plays. Uh -huh. Through plays, uh, educating people. It's people that watch from the first second all the way to the end. Right. And it got 66% on through plays. Now, most people... 18 percent 10 percent 11 you know especially a long-form podcast you're happy yeah if, you, if you're you're in the lower 20s that's a great podcast this one episode got 66 thousand uh 66 percent 
Impressive. So I got 14,000 views out of the 20, 23,000 or something like that. Or yeah. maybe it's like 50 something. But man, a day later, my Facebook, my personal account was canceled. My business, all of my business accounts were canceled. Um, YouTube, all of a sudden, only got like three views. And it's like, it was like Meta and Google, how, how, what the hell's going on here? And what they said was, you violated community guidelines. And they gave me a link, give me all the community guidelines, but not citing what? Talking about free speech, got your free speech canceled. Yes. But very much like an ex-girlfriend, when you ask her, what did I do? And she says, you know what you did. I was like, <laughs> holy sugar, man. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, you know, you, I, you can't say you violated community guidelines and can't cite what? Right. There's no way. How do I, how do I walk that back? You know? And mm -hmm. the episode, by the way, uh, because I, I was hypersensitive about free speech, because I did this episode um, a year ago, hmm. I cited, I had one of those Daily Show windows in the back that had like my sources, CDC, uh -huh. about Joe Rogan, CDC, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. So I had right. my sources in the background popping up every time I talked to, every time I introduced something that was a, a question of fact. Wow. And so I covered my bases and and if you can Google search it, you won't find it on YouTube. It's, uh, they put it back up because I, I, I gave them hell. So it's back on YouTube. But but you can't find it. I'd have to send you the link, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. so so that's when I realized that. And then yeah. I was uh, I had this amazing viewership gone and it took it took my sport, the people loyal to me and my sport to bring me back. You know, because the people in my sport were fanatics. So. Um, they didn't wait for the, the episodes to pop up on the wall. They were actively looking for it every week. Right. 1,100 maniacs, you know, every That's week awesome. kept me afloat. So, you know, until all of that, all of that blew over, you know? Yeah. What do you think about Elon Musk and this whole thing? Wow, I say more power to him. I mean, right. again, thinking for himself, not caring what either side thinks of him, mm -hmm. just doing his thing. Everybody should be that free. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, everywhere else, I don't know. Free. I mean, maybe are we spoiled or something? Right? Do they have free speech in England? Do they have it in Australia? Do they have it, you know, in Russia? <laughs> Freedom after the speech? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, question. <laughs> so when you going to Greece? Oh, yeah, it's my next destination. I was half an hour away from Greece, and and my itinerary got changed. Come on, tell me. You ain't getting off that easy. Tell me the story. Come on. So I went this ain't an interview, man. This is a conversation. Talk to me. I used to be a technical recruiter. So I was there, sent there to recruit in Eastern Europe. I was in Ukraine, Bulgaria, Turkey, Romania. And um, yeah, when we were down in Bulgaria. I think we were like half an hour from, from Greece. And I had like a day I could go down there, but then they shipped us to another spot before no. I could ah. get down there. So That's I'll have to go back. Well, like you said, that's like stopping off at Lima and route to Chile. It's like, oh, I wish I could have went to Machu Picchu. I wish we were stuck here for a day. Get back out and then, right? So, yeah, I I'll appreciate that. that. Sometime. Yeah. So, uh, getting back to the whole sexuality thing, do you think one of the bigger obstacles, because I'm driving us back on the cliff, uh, off from off uh, the cliff, the Mulholland Drive back to the PCH. Um do you think one of the biggest obstacles is either self-honesty or 
mutual honesty about knowing what people want from the physical relationship. Right. So, yeah, I definitely think people should talk about it. Did you want to make a clarification? Mm -hmm. No, I, uh, for example, let's say somebody likes getting hit, right. Or whatever. And his girlfriend's not into that. (laughs) At some point she might be like, she's nice enough. I want this relationship. But then as a relationship happens, these are, these are, these are, um, driven by passion. Uh, cravings that uh, sometimes get the best of virtue <laughs> yeah. and he's eventually going to get it from somewhere else so do you think some of these things that break up a relationship are um lack of candidness or or pre or, or um citing as a pretext which you want before uh, uh just being honest of what you want in a relationship and what you like and that person knowing what you like versus dismiss you know what i'm saying like shutting that conversation we're not going to have a talk about this or whatever or is it so talk to me a little bit about obstacles that, okay. that get in the way that get in the way of relationships that that might lead to the physical uh betrayal so i think just about everybody has met a couple married couple who were one of them wanted kids and the other one didn't and you're like <laughs> how did you get married and not discuss that before yeah. you got married yes you know yeah, no it doubt. happens mm-hmm. and i think um yeah, when we're not meeting our social needs healthfully, then again, we're kind of bandaged with sex. And if sex is the way we start our relationships, we're not going to know our partner very well. No, we're not going to know if we have much in common. Yeah, I mean, every everybody likes orgasms. So that's just like, <laughs> that's not something to build a relationship on. No. Right? No. Good luck so, with that. <laughs> Go ahead. You're right. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm being too blunt, but yeah, honesty and getting to know each other and and holding off, trusting your gut. If you feel like you should wait, wait and not jumping in the sack right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that I found because I was a sex addict for so many years was that honesty and disclosure and communication are the basis for true relating. And I wasn't doing that. And um, so I went through a 12 step program, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, they have them for sex addicts. And the 12 steps, you know, one of them is honesty and mm-hmm. disclosure. And I had to speak about everything I'd done, the things that I was thinking, the things that were going on inside of me, things that I never wanted anybody to know. I had to speak them out loud in front of other people. And that changed my life. Not only did it help me get out of the addiction, but it was the basis for establishing true relating that I had something I had never succeeded in before. It was an, an epiphany. It was life changing. Yeah. And look at where you are now. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because on a general level, the conflicting forces of driven, being driven by passion versus being driven by virtue um, is a real thing. Is yep. a real thing. And it shapes relationships. It ruins relationships. It, uh, it um, makes some people be self-destructive, self-implosive. Um, your example being a sex addict is an extreme example, but the extreme example is exactly what we need to bring everything back to, to like you said, having having these levels of self-honesty and you, uh, these conversations of self-honesty like mammals, <laughs> like yeah. mammals, people, right? <laughs> walk on, walk with two legs and drink water, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like the song, me and you, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. <laughs> so let's do it like we do it on Discovery <laughs> Channel. <laughs> I had a guy on my podcast called, um, his name was Billy Presidio. He's a stand-up comedian, but he's also the founder of the Man Whore Podcast. 
Oh wow! And um, yeah, that got me in hot water with my club, with my volleyball clubs. I'm like, teens ain't supposed to be listening to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, they learned the hard way about me. But but this guy basically, we get through this conversation, and I'm I'm a half hour in, and I don't want to talk about, you know. Just I don't I I was hesitant to just jump right in and then thirty minutes in he's like this is the longest we've gone without talking about ethics <laughs> I've ever gone and I was just like and then I was like okay we broke the plane but the question that actually made us and you got to listen to this podcast the question that made the conversation interesting I said what would you say to the people who don't understand your lifestyle uh, um that that aren't down with that and he's like well my answer to that is they don't need to. You know, he says, they're doing their thing. I'm doing my thing. I'm, that's the problem. And I said, that's not what I'm talking about. And you're going to love this because I'm talking so much. I got I to gotta damn sure get somewhere with this. Um, I said, there's two kinds of people that say they don't understand. Okay. They look at you and they say, Carl, I don't get it. Nah, you know, I, I don't want to get it. Go away. Shoot fly. Right. And then there's the other kind that says, Carl, I, 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 I don't understand. Help me. Help me understand. I want, I want to understand. Hmm. And when I told him, God, dude, I'm the ladder. Let's let's go. Let's go. And from that point on, from like 43 minutes all the way to an hour and 48, wow. we talked about I'm, I'm trying not to curse on my podcast, just effing on this oh. this this galactic astronomical level. That place that there's a place where men and women get to meet and talk. But there's that place under that place hmm. that's deep. It's dark and it's old as the stars. It's been there since the, yeah. the existence of humanity. And that was the place I wanted to be in. And man, did, whoo, man, did I get in, in, in trouble with some of my, because uh, uh, at that time I was a club coach uh, uh, for okay. Beach. And they, they, they tried to give me this speech about role models. And I'm like, all right, go, go, go find another role model. I'm not a, I'm a coach. I'm not a saint, you know? So how, what do you think your role is? and helping people get there and, and, under, and understand it. Do you, do you even have a role? Yeah, I do. I feel like I exist to help people see options they maybe didn't look at before or didn't even know existed. Right. Because for me, much of my life was, gosh, am I going to marry a woman and be in the closet all my life? Or am I going to have a gay partner? And, and those were the only two things I could think of as far as relating to human beings, which is pitiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's pitiful. I had to talk about sex on like this group, like groups, uh, you know, these, these, these crazy parties, these mul multiple partner things, just to get to the point, <laughs> just to get to the point. So I had, to, I had to go all the way there just for people to get to the point of what we want in life and, and levels of self-honesty and what we crave. And like I said, the conflicting forces of driven by virtue being driven by passion. I had to go there. You know, the society made me go there so that so we can bring it here. You know, and we really are conditioned to mm -hmm. see black, white, left, right, up, down. And there's so many. Usually there's so many more options no. for any decision we have to make. Some miserable people out there, dude. You're right. Jeez. We're, I mean, we're, we're humans. I mean, it's, look, just, I'm, we're not like animals. I'm not like a shark. Right. Imagine like having a, uh, uh, to attack things with your face to live. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, this is not a sucky life we have. This being a human, you know, and, and in America is a good life to have, right? Yeah. yeah, picture being like a wolf or a coyote or something. You in order to live, you gotta attack things. Ah, you gotta face. attack things with your face. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so 
Well, that's a hell of a relationship if the only way to function is to attack things with your face. Wow, you you have quite the mind where you can go there and stuff like that out. Yeah, can you see why I need you to talk more? <laughs> How did we even start this conversation? Oh, man. So you also majored in political science. Is that your master's? Yeah. Yeah, cool, man. It's got, I mean, dude, I'm sure you got a lot to say about what the hell's been going on in the last three years. <laughs> you know, um, I hate social issues. Um, being um, highly emotional about them. I think they're fun to discuss, but I think because people make such an elevated deal about it, it makes me not, like Sam Harris once said this, he says, you are incapable of solving real problems because you're hysterical about imaginary ones. <laughs> you know? Profound. Like, yeah, like like arguments about having gay flags in schools, uh, uh, arguments about... Um, gender, uh, whatever, identity, uh, whatever, mm -hmm. and this and that. I'll give you my own personal opinion. Um, okay. As a parent, I equate somebody, my kid, being at a certain age where they make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. And there's certain things you just got to do what I say do. <laughs> the old school virtue, because I said so, is is time-tested. You know, it's because I said so for the people listening at home, it's that's another way of saying I don't know <laughs> right now. I don't know. Well, no, you it's know. also because you're a dad and you know there's cars in the street yeah. and you're gonna yank them out of the street, you know, yes. physically, mm -hmm. you know, take away their freedom completely, right? But I'm hand away from the hot stove. But I'm, I'm shaping my question to you, and I, I desperately need you to disagree if you think I'm wrong. I think because kids from a toddler to a child to a teenager to a young adult to a full adult are in the middle of psychological growth, they're not just. Yeah. growing long bones and crying that their leg hurts because they're growing long legs. Right. Uh, um, and the question, my question to you is, do we allow or do we trust people at this young age to make these decisions? I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about getting a sure. sex change. All right. Because this is where we're kind of going with this. Yeah. But I'm talking about joining the military. You know, I'm talking about <clears throat> some 14 year old kid says he wants to be an accountant. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> You don't go, go your freshman year, the first semester, you're going to find out you don't want to be an accountant. All right. So, so yeah. these are just general things that some would consider mundane. Why? Why? So we, we don't allow our kids to do mundane things. How the hell do we even allow our kids to do serious things like that? Disagree with me, push back, agree. No, the floor is yours. I don't yours. disagree with you. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, at different stages, you got to allow them more autonomy. You know, uh, give them an allowance, let them work with money, let them control that money and do what they want to waste it, figure mm -hmm. out how money gets lost so that they'll take better care of it later. And same thing with like smoking and alcohol. You know, it's like if you're going to do sex change procedure, but you don't let them have alcohol, it's like, what are you thinking? You can't let them you walk can't. it off <laughs> with some vodka. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, yeah, like the, I just read that the adult male male brains don't completely develop till you're like 25 26 27. it's not fully developed to that late and and we're voting at 21 and drinking at 21 maybe we're voting at 18. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so yeah you have to be a parent because you've been around the block and your child hasn't yeah so and it goes back to fluidity i mean i had a buddy who um thought he was gay came out to his parents as gay as a young adult Months later, he's like, you know what? 
I am actually asexual. So you got to give people space to figure stuff out. And again, like I said, it, sometimes it takes decades. Right. So why would you go and do a procedure or put a philosophy in their head that is going to be very painful to change later? Let them <laughs> work it out. Yeah. Let them, I, I think, um, I don't know, like you said, every, whatever you're feeling at the time is real and what you do about what you do about it is a choice, right? Um, yeah. Like if I'm a kleptomaniac, right? Um, it doesn't mean I don't have any choice but to steal. It just makes my choice to steal and not a lot harder than everybody else. It says you struggle with it. And I don't mean to use kleptomania because that's actually stealing. That's 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 not something you want to do. So I don't mean to compare that to being gay or being straight or 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 thinking you identify as being a man or a woman or this or that. So, um, but I, I do compare it in the dis, in the sense that the choice you make, the actual action, yeah has consequences, good or bad, you yeah. know? Like I just told you in the beginning of the podcast, I had a friend who, you know, who did the transformation and I, I've never seen this, this person was miserable to be around, he's a volleyball player, right? And it's since this, just high and smiling and just, and, and I've been doing this for a long time. I know when someone's really happy and I know when someone's just like, no, I'm fine. Fine. your eyes right now you're a happy dude right now you're in a good way you know whatever it took for you to get here there you're a happy dude I, I love talking to you and i can't shut up right now but um um yeah so that that was him but the difference was that was a full-grown person like you said, and consistent with fully developed or what we perceive to be fully fully developed psychology, uh, uh, um, human psychology, right? This, uh, the what the 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 um, process, right? Toddler, child, teen, young adult, adult. Got to you got to let people not be boys interrupted or girls interrupted, right? Yeah, and give them you know different levels of of choice as they get older. Not just when you're eighteen suddenly you have choices. No, right. you got to start young and let them make choices and have consequences right yeah no doubt so you teach journalism you you do teach two 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 um two different schools one is you teach journalism what's the other one i used to teach journalism at utah valley university and now okay. i teach digital media at uh, mountainland technical college nice so yeah. yeah you like being in utah i miss the beach i really do my we just, man we just got like 17 inches of snow here i yeah <laughs> I was just in Mammoth too, and it was, yeah, snow was. When they move the snow out of the way, it's just, it's like these eight foot things that you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm in it right now. I'm deep in it. <laughs> I miss the concrete jungle. I'm a, I'm a New Yorker by nature. Um, and something I wanted to talk about that that you're gonna um, might help some people with is, um, and I wrote it down. It's basically something to do with block scheduling take mm -hmm. a time of day that you you say i have to do this oh yeah uh to be productive right and this the reason why i brought this up because we were talking about how much we miss the beach but we yeah. know what we don't miss about the beach being this south bay life makes you the biggest procrastinator you're like oh, i got this project i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna do this and you get to the beach i'll do it in an hour then you have lunch with your friends and a whole day went by and you didn't do anything this place i call it california drunken stupor it's like it's la la land well, it, it, is, drunken, it is true it is, yeah but i mean i didn't mean literally drunk but i mean like you feel like you drink you're in this bliss where you're mm -hmm. not i mean two days went by and you're like i was supposed to do that two days ago 
So yeah. talk to my audience full of procrastinators <laughs> yeah. um, about the importance of uh, something I call block scheduling. Maybe yeah. also maybe interpret that uh, um, for some of my people. Sure. Sure. Well, you want to be productive. You don't want to be a complete slob until you die. <laughs> you no. want to accomplish something in your life. <laughs> and I, I found the way to do that is to not say, I have to sit and write for three hours every day. I don't do that. Right. But I do say, I have to sit in this chair and write at the same time every day, even mm. if it's just five, 10 minutes. Right. And typically it'll be more if I get my butt in the chair at the same time every day. I think that's the really critical thing. And over time, you got a book done. Yeah, man. Wow. So if you instinctively or impulsively, what's your, what's what's your favorite book? Like if I ask you that, what's the first book that came to your mind right now? Okay, so it's not it's not going to be your favorite one. What's the first one that came to your mind? John Adams. Yeah, it's a nonfiction. It's biography by David McCullough. Talk to me about John Adams. I, I know this. Un, un, um, I won't say unnatural obsession with John Adams, but I know he's an intriguing person uh, for you to read about and study and this and that. So again, I did my homework. Yeah, um, you did. And so yeah, I, I, I have look. See all this. This is called paralysis through analysis, right? When you wow. have when you have so much, you can't ask anything. You know. And as a volleyball coach, I teach my kids uh, in things of three. Like on serve, receive, or passing, you can teach them 11 things. But if you teach them 11 things, they're not going to do any of those things. Right. Paralysis through analysis. And this is what I'm suffering right now. Talk to me a little bit about John Adams, your, okay. um, um, where your intrigue comes from, and, and some things about the guy. So two um, historical characters that I love, but I probably wouldn't die to meet because they were irritating, are John Adams and Winston Ch Churchill. And... Um, they both had similar things that they did in their lives. They were both kind of annoying to the people around them. They were kind of like a thorn in people's sides, but they were that thorn that society needed at the right time. Churchill to save Europe before America even got into the war and John Adams to save America um, right. from the tyranny that was England at the time. And, you know, he was just this irritating guy that got people to look and see the need to change stuff. And he had great ideas. And they both, I think, were superheroes. I think you're one of the people that noticed, because um, usually the, the most irritating people, history is usually more kinder to them. You're the person that still concedes. No, he's still an irritating person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? You look at, but you look at everybody that's that's had some success in their life that 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 are remembered long after their death. Nine out of ten of them are irritating as hell. Um, and we don't remember that they were. And, you're, I, and the thing that intrigued me about your intrigue with Adams is that you still retain uh, uh, the historical fact that this dude was a pain in the ass. Well, you yeah, know? McCullough was a great biographer and he, he yeah. laid it all out. He, he wasn't pulling punches. No. Even Jefferson was complaining about John Adams, working with John Adams. He's like, <laughs> they ended up great friends, but for years they were irritating to each other. Yeah, like James Brown, uh, another guy. He, you couldn't leave the studio until you got it right. You know, Steve Jobs, right? Think yeah. about his reputation or whatever. Think of um, Winston Churchill, like you were talking about. Very, very, um, was that the King's Speech? Was that was that about him? Same era, yeah. Colin Firth or whatever. Yeah, he was yeah. in that movie. He yeah. was one of the characters. And yeah, and, and well-documented uh, about how much of a pain in the butt he was, but. Abrasive. Yeah, I think it's amazing that those kind of people are the ones we remember. Yeah. You know? Christian Bale. I'm sure he's the, you know, reputably one of the more difficult actors to work with. We're going to remember him, right? Yeah. 
Um, and the only one we won't remember is Amy Klobuchar. She's throwing shoes and phones at people and she's forgetful. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't work with women. Maybe it only works with guys. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so you never have writer's block. Does that come from like um, just writing a lot? The more you write, the less the uh, the more it becomes uh, impulsive behavior. Okay, so this may be the most controversial question you ask me, believe it or not, because I'm failing. I'm, really I'm failing this entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sexuality stuff is nothing compared to this no, question. Because is... people, when they find out I'm a writer, they'll often say, "Oh, and you've written a lot of kids' books. I've always wanted to write a kids' book." And I'll say, "Really? Tell me your idea." And many times they'll say, "Oh, I don't have one." Right. And inside, I'm thinking, "You're not a writer." because I get attacked by ideas. I have file folders full of ideas that I'll never get to because I just have too many. Yeah. Um, what do you mean? Like, I, as far <laughs> as ideas are concerned, like you have an idea about self-help, right? I remember you mentioning self-help, um, 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 reflecting on pers personal experience. So I'll just, I'll just put it in my own words. You, you basically believe self-help self -help books and reflecting on personal experience are kissing cousins. Uh, um, yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about the why on that. So, um, again, like I said, you can't help but learn. I think a lot of us can't help but communicate and share, which right. is great. That's what you do for a living. I mean, sharing what you learn, learning from the people you're sharing with. Right. Uh, that's bliss for me. I love that. Even, I, even if I don't agree at all with the person who's sharing, I love to learn from people. Well, it's an awkward question for me to ask, right? Why are they kissing cousins? Because it's and it's awkward for me because I can't think of an instance of a self-help book where someone did not reflect on their experience. Right. You know, not a good one, not not one that's, you know, sold more than two copies. You know, I work for a guy, Dr. Isidore Rosenfeld. Um, he's one of these guys who's like the doctor of the stars. Um, I was okay. him, with him for 17 years in a cardiology practice. Wow. Um, yeah, we were. He's one of those guys that was already rich and he's just making the world a better place. He didn't do it for pharmaceuticals. Um, had his own show on Fox called House Calls. He was, you ever seen A Beautiful Mind? I think, oh yeah. I yeah, he was one of the elders that placed the pen down at the end. He was, as he was himself, Dr. Rosenfeld, because he knew Dr. Nash. Oh, wow. Uh, you ever seen Man on the Moon? He knew Andy Kaufman, so he was in the movie as himself. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And the state would have it, our, uh, the directors were our patients, like Ron Howard was our patient and um, Milos Forman okay. was our patient. So, But he was, I forgot where I was going, but he wrote a book called Dr. What Should I Eat? Mm -hmm. uh, um, we're going to get into your diet in a minute. Like I said, I did my homework. Uh, um, he's like, really? <laughs> we got to, <laughs> we just drove back off the cliff. <laughs> we just drove right, right? We just, we're having a normal conversation now. But um, I actually weighed 265 before I read that book. I got out of the army and I blew up like a balloon, right? And cert I noticed a lot of the foods that I were I were eating that I wanted to cut out were actually weren't the problem, mm. you know. Um, and I read certain things that are like good as fat burners, you know, the myth about dark chocolate being aphrodisiacs, uh, um, and I lost sixty five pounds. Like right now, I'm like two hundred five, but. Um, so that's my net loss, but I, I got as high as, as low as 186. So I was 265, got as low as 186, decided that was too light. And, and here I am just looking like a, a normal person. And it um, wasn't by giving up your favorite foods, it was eating differently? Yeah. Well, I gave up Haagen-Dazs. That was the only thing. Okay. Haagen-Dazs, I was eating an entire pint like every night. 
which which not only like if you you know we can have a conversation about blood sugar and that's where i'm i, I think i'm almost as much of an expert uh, um and the glycemic chart and and mm. stuff like that and foods that are high and foods that are low right but it wasn't just that and the haagen was a neurological addiction Whoa. You know, like I lived in Harlem, right? So what I would do is like, if I didn't, if I, if it's not in the house, I'm not going to eat it. Boom. Case closed, right? So what happens? 10, 30, 10 o'clock happens. 1030. 11 o'clock happens. I'm watching a movie or maybe I'm doing homework or whatever. 1130 happens. And, 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 and it's calling me like a thief, like, like, like crack cocaine or something. Right. And I go out and I buy a pint, Right. And I buy a second pint in case I want to get stupid the next night, you know, and, and have to go. So I end up buying two instead of one because I think I'm going to have the same problem the same the next night. And yeah, look, what I'm, I'm, I'm like 18 years cured. <laughs> it's like it's like your AA meeting for like sex addicts. That was yeah. me. That was me with Hagen Dazs. Um, but I, everyone thought about pizza being a bad food. But if you look at the water and the way New Yorkers prepare their pizza, a lot of people lose weight eating pizza. Um, yeah, I also noticed that toasting your carbohydrates is a better carbohydrate breakdown for athletes. You toast all your bread. Whole hundred anything that says a whole wheat, hundred percent whole wheat instead of wheat was actually more beneficial as far as white flour and not white flour is concerned. I know you don't eat carbs at all. Yeah, not by choice. Uh, right. It was forced on me. No. Because I brought it up, you got to tell everybody. Go ahead. No, this I, is I, the depressing I, part of your podcast. You may want to cut this out. No. So. Everybody's going to be like, yo, he's skinny. I'm going to do that. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. I, I went to South America. I was a LDS missionary for two years. Got a bug. Came home. No one has ever been able to figure out what it is. The last doctor I spoke to said, there's so many microbes on the planet. We can't possibly know what they all are and what they do. He said I was the expert, mm -hmm. but yeah, basically, okay. yeah, carbs make me sick, like to the point of writhing on the floor in agony. So I don't eat carbs. So you're ketoing, right? Yeah. Not because I wanted to lose weight or be healthy. It's just because carbs will make me miserable. I mean, major pain. Yeah. You know what makes me miserable now? Anything cooked in vegetable oil or corn oil. Since I started yeah. making everything in olive oil, um, I started going to restaurants less, except the expensive ones, because I know they're going to. You know, like if I go to a steakhouse, I know, you know, yeah. what kind of butter, if they're, if they're going to have butter, if it's an olive oil, this or that. So um, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I actually tried a carnivore diet for a month. Okay. And I lost like, I lost like 11 pounds. My energy shot through the roof. Yeah. Um, oh, I was an animal lover who didn't want to eat meat, but yeah. that's what I live on. Yeah. But then, and you also realize more animals die making vegetables than they do, than they do factory farming. Oh, so. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because of, um, what do you call it? Um, monocrop agriculture. Mm. It's unnatural to like grow one thing in a, in a big area of space and, and to try to keep animals away from that. You're going to poison yeah. the animals. You're also um, going to lose a lot of um, natural nutrients of what that vegetable or corn or, or if you're a corn person, I'm not. Um, so I, I've had, again, I've had extensive guests, uh, on this podcast that helped me on, there's a guy named Dr. Bart K. Mm -hmm. He has a uh, four advanced medical degrees in like, you know, exercise physiology, cardiology, this and that, but he's a leader of the meat militia. So he's wow. one of these, these meat only guys. He's those one of the insane guys that made like a lot. I, I don't fully prescribe to it, but it made a hundred percent sense 
everything he said as far as what you get out of red meat or salmon and this and that. Like salmon is a great source of omega-3, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, steak, of course, is tons of nutrients, right? And tons. But he was also candid about what you might be missing, like vitamin C. Uh, we as human beings used to be able to pre- reproduce our own vitamin C. Huh. And a lot of people don't know that. Uh, um, but we stopped doing that. We um, became um, codependent on it. And that person had kids and they had kids and now it's gone. Or, uh, I, don't, I don't know the anthropological um, science behind it, but I'm just trying to generalize. But we used to be able to do that. So yeah. he was making a point. There's a lot of things that, are, that we self-reproduce uh, uh, and that in addition to the steak or whatever. And dude, I lost 11 pounds and I, I was like, I was like, just, yeah. Jason, if I could, I'd be eating Haagen-Dazs and pizza every day. <laughs> Are you saying we're jealous of each other's lifestyles? I guess. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, it's funny, though, because we have a lot in common. I'm an actor, too. I was an actor when I was a youth. and Yeah. I love volleyball. I'm not as diehard about as you are, but yeah. it's so interesting. You're a real renaissance man. Dude, yeah, you get a, you become old enough, right? You start you start to, yeah. you know. Let me tell you something. Before I met my wife, right? I'm 52 right now. But when I met my wife, I went on a date with this girl, and every time she seemed to do something, I I talked about my experience, right? She's like, oh, the military, this, well, I'm a vet, and this and that. And she's like, oh, what do you think of this actor? I'm like, well, I started acting and this and that. And she's like, oh, what do you think about these drugs? And I'm like, I had a boss I didn't like, you know, I wasn't big on drugs, or big, you know, big farmer and this and that. And we talked about race, and I'm like, well, my mom's black, my dad's white. <laughs> and like a half hour into this conversation, she's like, even if you're lying about everything you said, it's an interesting story. <laughs> It's way interesting. Yeah, you got to write your memoir. <laughs> well, I'm going to write a memoir just on the uh, the doctor's office. The 17. Uh, I have a okay. chapter for every story. I've seen Sophia Loren's breast, or or you know, wow. or Bill Clinton. You know, like um, he was doing a broadcast, and he's like, "I'm on TV right now. I don't care if it's the president of the United States." And they're like, "It is the president of the United States." So, so <laughs> there, there, there are tons of stories behind this this amazing human being who was a father figure to me, but. Um, hey, you, you, let's talk about acting since I'm all over the place. <laughs> See yeah. how you get views, man? You got to be all over the place. Uh-oh. Sure. <laughs> I just mostly did like high school plays and a little okay. bit of community theater. But um, Shakespeare, um, I didn't understand it when I was reading it in high school. But once I saw it live, mm-hmm. I was hooked. No doubt. Isn't it amazing how you you hate it and you're not maybe not hate it, but you fear it. There's like this when you don't understand it, you you're, you're fearing it, and when you and typically you start to hate, right? As humans, we start. Some of us tend to hate what we're afraid of, so yeah. it's like I hate Shakespeare, and the fact that it matters, you don't hate it. You're just you're just you're just scared. Not you, but you you know, and and now I love it. Yeah, yeah, and I I say those first actors I saw at Shakespeare in the Park were like interpreters for me. They made me understand it just with their tone and inflection. I knew exactly what they were talking about. Seasoned actors, though. Right. Yeah. You, you got to get an old school Shakespeare uh, actor out there, yeah. someone that helps you, but at the same time doesn't do it in the condescending fashion like you're an a-hole. Right. Like right. <laughs> you like you don't see some young guy or you'll see the young guys out there. You know, the rascal has removed my horse <laughs> and tied him. I know not where. No, you don't need. Right. You're not, we're not idiots. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, or you can go to old school. Like if I move but full foot by the squire. Feather afoot, I shall break my wind. 
a plague upon it when 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 thieves cannot be true to one another. <laughs> you I know? know you think it's all proper because of the yeah. old English, but they're talking about farting. It is yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was and everyone but the way I, the way an old school person conveyed that they get it you don't have to say i shall break my wind and then go right and like, the audience uh, uh uh even for shakespeare the audience is one step ahead of you yeah. even for shakespeare that includes shakespeare as hard as that is for some people to believe you know and i hated it until my senior year because your senior year you have to take it so the bfa program is two years contemporary right and the third year is Ibsen, Chekhov, Comedy of Manor, stuff like that. And the entire fourth year is Shakespeare. So, And I switched out of the BFA to, to BA because you were allowed to um, audition and do um, work during the academic year. The BFA, you can't. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so I did BA in theater right. performance. I switched out because I was getting real work. I was in um, the sh a show called um, FNA, um, written by Susan Laurie Parks at the Public okay. Theater. I was a bounty hunter. Yeah. And the director let me use my military experience to like train the other bounty hunters. So it was, it was, it was quite the ride. So, so give me wow. one of your favorite plays you're in. Oh, um, I did. Did South you like musicals or, or yeah, just straight I did sound and music. I was the captain. Yes. <laughs> captain. <laughs> Go on. Go ahead. So, yeah, I was good at being stern. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was great. We really bonded as a cast. It was great. Had a lot of fun. Dude. A lot of pranks. Yeah, I'm sure. Not terribly professional because we did a lot of backstage pranks, oh, some you, on stage pranks. You behaved like 17 year olds. I mean, right? You're behaving uh, as fate would have it, right? You happen to be in your teens when you're doing that. So, yeah. yeah. But that's what I felt like in college. I felt like I was 13 years late for my prom. It was, you know, I was a returning adult student. I was 33 years old. Uh -huh. And Marymount doesn't recruit returning adult students, they, they, they just don't. But I, I auditioned. And if I knew how serious it was, I probably wouldn't have done well in my audition. Do you get what I'm saying, right? Like yeah. sometimes going in unassuming, like I didn't know that they were the second ranked program in the country at the time. Wow. You know, I just went in there and and found out later. And I was just like, oh, thank, oh, thank the Lord. <laughs> you know, right? Good for you, man. Yeah. Is it, wow. But isn't that liberating though? Like a be, being unassuming, I know us guys who do things to intellectually tickle ourselves we don't like being not knowing but there's there, do you agree that there's something liberating about not knowing some things absolutely yeah because i guess we would be intimidated into doing nothing if we knew everything yeah give me an example what was oh, man. how far back you gotta go <laughs> like yesterday <laughs> oh shoot go ahead so, i i teach um the Adobe Creative Suite in as part of my class. My class is digital media. So right. uh, I can't possibly know everything about that program. And so students will ask me questions and sometimes I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I have to go look it up. Mm -hmm. Plus the, the programs change so often. So I look stupid almost regularly. <laughs> Hey, look, it's your right, right? We were talking about our rights, right? Ignorance is not only bliss, it's constitutional, people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I'd like to do a lightning round, like a 60 second lightning round. But before we do that, I wanted to know if there was anything specifically about the book, because I remember you mentioned it before the podcast. Is there anything else you wanted to get out there? And I, because I, I was very careful about asking too many questions that would just give them so much information. It's like, I don't need to write by the book. I'm just listening to Jason's podcast, you know? <laughs> um, was there anything you wanted to get out about the book and just, just 
that you thought would be helpful or um, productive or useful, or just fun to read? You know, I may have touched on the biggest thing, and that is, and this is, applies to gay or straight, um, and that is, I believe that uh, we have social needs plural, and we should never look for one person to meet all our needs. And it's funny because a lot of straight guys get this and a lot of gay guys don't, that um, men are wired to love men deeply and women are wired to love women intensely and has nothing to do with sexuality. Right. All, and, and, and all this time we thought it was wired the other way around. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're, we, yeah, we are. Yeah. Attraction. I always tell my friends because they're like, why are you looking at that girl if you're married? And I'm like, I'm I'm married, but I'm not blind. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? You know, or I have some of my male friends, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Brooklyn where it's more of a macho, um, you know, su su survival of the fittest place and on Flatbush Avenue. It's like, I'm like, wow, that dude's handsome. And he's like, I wouldn't know if he's handsome. He's a guy. And I'm just like, you're stupid. <laughs> you're yeah. stupid. You, you're not blind. You know what's good looking and what's not, you know, but yeah. there's always this not phobia because uh, phobia in the classic sense of the word is fear which you don't understand they don't, they're not scared they're just a-holes right I have a t-shirt about that that says that you know you're not, you, yeah you're not you're not phobic you're not scared to be gay people you're just an a-hole <laughs> so you know you just don't you know you're just being stupid so but yeah. I've that's something even in my youth I've, I've always noticed uh, um, I've noticed sure. good-looking men and women um, and I think that derives from and I want you to finish before I go to lightning rounds uh, off off of what I'm saying that that derives from just being socially mature the ability mm -hmm. to recognize something's good-looking but you but you got your own yeah 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 and I think I said this too already Let's go further than that take it God gave us social needs and yeah. you know you've heard pray the gay away you know that thing that they mock christians with yeah, yeah god's not going to take away a need for people because it's legitimate and he want he, he created us to meet our needs with each other socially and also education is important right the ability the ability to con to convey this where people aren't scared that you're you're trying to shove this down their throat right Tulsi, uh, con former congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, her father was into inversion therapy, converting yeah, gay conversion. people. Yeah, conversion therapy. Conversion not, therapy no, yeah. no, inversion therapy is like you're poor, but embrace it. It's, you know, you're not in, you're not in Libya right now. You know, embrace your poorness. In the meantime, okay. that guy, and from the guy who has a private jet, embrace your poorness. <laughs> being told, right? Being told about the environment. Take the train from a guy who flies yeah. a private jet. Give me a break. Go ahead. There's something else controversial though. I went through some conversion therapy, not because I was deluded into thinking that I could become straight, but because being bi. I had to make a choice like do yeah. i want to spend the rest of my life with a woman or a man and so i gained a lot from from that kind of stuff it wasn't that it was going to change me from gay to yeah. straight but it was helping me embrace manliness my brothers right. as men well by so, by bisexuality is 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 the social savior <laughs> uh, yeah. of of people saying you're uh, of you falling under these false dichotomies yeah. Bisexual is this. I'm going to say that again because I just came up with that. Bisexuality <laughs> is the social savior where, where people can actually come and actually have conversations about this. And even and whether it's your thing or not, like I'm a straight boy, that's not my thing. But let me, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, I'm not prejudiced against black people. I have a black friend. No, I'm just saying that, that appreciation empathy works both ways and i think we, we collectively can just be better people 
by that. Yeah. I mean, I do know, I do know guys that are 100% gay and right. that's real. And that's their thing. So it, yeah. So it's yeah. being somewhere on the spectrum. Right. And that's their Learn jam. Learn that from each other. That's their jam. Yeah. But Gabbert uh, grew up anti-gay because of that. That's her parents. And she didn't realize, she didn't change her stance until she served in the military. She okay. was in the Iraq war and she and there were a lot of people who were gay and she just had conversations and understood. And, and when she ran for congressperson, she was given like a hundred percent rating by the human rights campaign until, until of course you, you, you quit the DNC and, and endorse Bernie Sanders over Hillary. Then, then all of a sudden okay. your past comes up and yeah. you, and you know how politics works. They take your yep. worst moment and they, they forget all these good things and say, that's who you're about now. Is she a weirdo? Yes. But, but I think people need to understand the the what before they start swinging blindly at people you know and i'm very glad i have you on the podcast because it just makes and i'm sorry i talked more than you did this is i was just this is at some point just come on again maybe over the summer and and i'll be a little bit more prepared about which no, what your great. next You're evolution is huh yeah but let's do lightning rounds oh where okay. is it it's over here all right we got 60 seconds let me put my clock up there it is okay and let's start get my horn okay uh favorite comedian joe rogan joe rogan nice last good book you read oh, i'm still reading it um colonial early colonialism it's about the american colonies marvel or dc oh i'm torn i like them both but marvel does a better job producing it pool or the beach the beach. Uh, say it with me. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Lord of the Rings. Favorite sport um, to spectate? Hockey. Hockey. Favorite action? Volleyball is my favorite one to play. Yeah. Well, mine is MMA away from volleyball. Okay. So, yeah. Um, favorite action film star growing up? Probably Stallone. Nice. Will Joe Biden make it to 2024? I think he's going to run. Okay. Because <laughs> I asked my Alaska that. She says, you, it's, and she has that Ukraine accent. She says, you mean in terms of being alive, I say yes. But as, as, far, as, as far as running is concerned, I don't know. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> yeah. So let's give our audience an IG handle or a website or something where people want to know a little bit more about you and, and the work you're doing and, and some of your recent projects. Look, what you, what you've done in the past that brings you to this variance is interesting alone, but um, yeah, let's, let's give the people some information before we, we get out of here. Sure. I think the easiest way to find me is to just Google Carl Beckstrand, Carl with a K, but my mm -hmm. website is premiobooks.com. I'm on Amazon, Target, Walmart. Okay. Excellent. All right. So Carl might love you guys, but me, I don't love you guys. In fact, I can't stand any of you. So we're out of here. All right. So for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPads, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school, baby. Old school. For my man, Carl Beckstrand. She, he is right here. I'm Jason DeBeas. I am right here. This is episode 167 of the Option Podcast. Stay with me. I'm just going to run my music and we are out of here. We're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.